Four Degrees to the Streets is designed to empower anyone curious about places and spaces, not just persons with professional degrees or backgrounds. Here we will cover a host of topics, including transportation, health, housing, and the environment through the lens of racism, classism, and sexism, and give listeners the tools they need to overcome institutional barriers. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the number four degrees pod and tune in every other Tuesday where Nemo and Jazz keep it four degrees to the streets. So welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the Four Degrees to the Streets podcast. Happy Black History Month. Nemo and I are very excited to share with you guys this episode and the second Black History Month episode. Before we get into that, um, Nemo, how you doing, girl? How's life? We have a new president. Yay! I know, right? (laughs) When it was... um... When we were recording this, we didn't know what was going to happen at the end of 20, our last episode, what was going to happen at the end of 2020. And a lot has happened uh, since then. But, you know, we, we move, we move regardless. DC is still standing. You still good down there? It is, thankfully. I hope to never have to, you know, feel that way again. I, I, a lot of places in downtown are actually still closed. I've just mm. heard. I haven't even tried to go around the Capitol, but there's still high security. So, yeah, I was watching with my grandfather just saying, you know, it's a good thing that they don't have the people ride around in the Cadillac convertibles anymore. Like mm. now they switch to the SUVs because it would just be too suspenseful. But let's jump into this episode because we have a whole lot to get into. Um, Nemo, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, so thanks, Jasmine. I am super excited um, to record today and to introduce our guest speaker. Um, we, me and her actually go back to 2018. <laughs> it hasn't been that long, um, but uh, we met at the Intersections um, Creating Culturally Complete Streets Conference, um, and so that was a great time. I got to um, hear her panel, but without further ado, I want to introduce Kristen Jeffers, also known as the Black Urbanist. Uh, Kristen was born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina, as the only child of two parents who instilled the value of storytelling, well-made objects, and a sense of place. Um, And so I'm sure Kristen probably had ideas about um, the urban and built environment before a lot of us fellow planners knew what that was. And so we're thankful to have her insight Um, So over a decade ago, she created The Black Urbanist, which is a multimedia platform that highlights Black queer feminist urbanist design, planning, and practice. And five years ago, in her first year living outside of North Carolina, itching to honor the textile history of her hometown and have something to do, she adjusted to life on the road and she started Crisp Pattern, a surface pattern and yarn pattern venture. She has lectured all over the U.S. and Canada on sustainable and inclusive urban design, has been featured in and contributed to several major daily newspapers and weekly articles, is an NPR affiliate at one of them being an NPR affiliate station and almost every urban planning, landscape, architecture or trade publication. And she would love to have you pop in on a lesson of hers at Black Queer Feminist Urbanist School or follow along with her as she designs, creates, um, whether that's on her site at Kristen Pattern or at Black Urbanist. And we will have all of her links um, in the show notes so you can feel free to tap in and stay connected with her that way. Um, And so we have a few questions that we're gonna get through today, but um, we're gonna really just get right into it. I think a lot of what we wanted to spend this episode is looking at the present of what it means to be Black and planning, um, the history, and also look a little bit into the future. Um, And so I'll turn to Kristen to talk to us a little bit about what's going on with Black practitioners right now. Is planning moving in the right direction? Um, And what are just what are some things that we should know about the field right now? So absolutely. First of all, it's an honor to be here with y'all. I'm really excited to have this conversation, especially right now. Um, Someone, um, one of my coach friends who's also a Black woman has said that it's gotten actually more expensive to work with Black women right now. And this is one reason why. Number one, we have a Black Madam Vice President. Um, There was so much beautiful Black excellence at the inaugural. And there is such a need right now to have people in Black people everywhere. Um, There's been erasure in the past. We have 
we are highly desirable for development. We were disinvested at one point, we were enslaved at one point, and now we are, we have, we still have all this wealth in our communities. We still have this joy and our potential. Of course, everybody sees they're going to, they're, they're listening to this podcast. They're reading my site. They're listening and reading and following all the other Black practitioners. And they're putting things up like Black Girl Magic and Black Boy Joy. And, but we're still um, emerging in a lot of ways. When you Google urban planner, urban planning, there are on those lists of urban planners on the list of urban theorists, there are very few, if not any black people, anybody of African descent, um, whether it's folks who originated in the Caribbean, folks who originated on the African continent, people have moved all around the diaspora. And then sometimes we are, we're there, obviously. Uh, we, I know all of us can think of names, significant names, especially within the last decade that the we've worked against the erasure of black practitioners of land use planning and land use and land development in all of its forms. But there's also a marginalization I've detected in the field over the years. You know, we're usually just, if we're, some, we're not just planners, we're just archi uh, architects and, you know, architects don't know anything. They're just engineers and engineers don't know anything. Or this mayor and that mayor is there only because they needed a black mayor. It's like the black majority city, or, you know, they're just a policy analyst or a public administrator or just a sociologist or just an activist. And even worse, there's that air that we're all nuisances just by confronting this fact that there are people who do not see us as leaders. They see us as administrators, but do we have the recognition of our own urban theory? Do we have the recognition of that? And when we confront racism, classism, all the other phobias that come up, both in our internal spaces as well as external spaces, white-facing spaces, that have been given the, the ability to define what planning is, are we seen? And so this is great that so many, even though the numbers are small, there's still probably less than a thousand people matriculating into planning schools. There's still only a handful of planning accredited schools in the United States and even globally going in the right direction with uh, equity being included in the APA certification now more schools, the rules changing around taking the exam. So if you're doing classic, what I like to call classical or what we've called classical planning, we're going in the right direction with diversifying the field. But prior to that, we've had a long way to go and we, it is almost demanded of us. It's necessary, it's needed, it's, it's owed for us to be here in the planning profession. And it's good that so many folks are taking up this mantle, learning what it is, being trained classically, and then going beyond that and incorporating things they've already done. And so some of the things that I think are important to bring up, and we talked and talked about this in, in the drafting of this episode, was the number of Black and minority students entering planning accredited programs. And I think it was you that brought up how those numbers are really small. So we look at the um, the Planning Accreditation Board for 2019 and 2018, they're showing something under than 500 students across something like 78 schools that have planning accreditation programs. So that's a very low number, particularly when you compare it to white students, which is over 2,000, over 2,500 actually. And so the numbers are significantly different, but like you mentioned, some people have MPAs, Master's uh, Public Administration or um, Public Policy degrees, or they have architecture degrees. And so these numbers might not be capturing the number of students who are working in the field. And there are some people who go to school for social work and end up working in a planning office or doing some planning related work. But I can say, because I just graduated, that it feels very, very small. Particularly when you start getting into spaces where you're going to conferences and things, it's very rare that I run into other Black especially other Black women in the field. But then I go on Twitter and there's so many people doing work like Nemo and I are doing, like you're doing with the Black urbanists, putting out their 
thoughts on this on social media and talking through policy decisions or debating certain things happening on the news and I'm like this is not being captured in a way that lends itself like you're saying to us being originators of theory originators of thought who convened this conference who started this organization who started TRB APA AIA ASLA all these groups who started them and then who when did you have your first black leader when did you have your first person of color who did who felt proud to admit that they were a person of color because of course some other people of color have had different privilege and abilities to assimilate and you know lean on whiteness over the years so when did you start having that and when you did have that did you keep track of having that so that there's not confusion over when those um what people did so we don't have another situation like we had we're putting stuff on Benjamin Banneker and then you know unfortunately forgot or some people forgot that Mitch Silver was our first um APA black president and coming back to that how do we um how do we get rid of that erasure I would hate I hate that we're still feeling like we're the onlys at these conferences that we are only getting invited because we can say something about our race and our plight and our trauma what our next phase and I, and the thing I want to see in the future and I think well, of course building critical mass is helping with this is just having us all be at a conference and it might be on me or somebody else um, that's at the point where you're doing your, your own thing to convene such a convening you know this moment of social distancing and everything on zoom is probably helping with us being able to create conversations we haven't had it's definitely democratizing these conferences being able to do so much of this work from my bedroom and you know people having who people who've still who dealt with COVID-19 dealt with other um crises right now and we're still producing these conversations and the conversations almost sound the same because to be honest they weren't at the level that they needed to be anyway and thankfully 2020 has pushed these things even further but we definitely have more to do yeah, and even beyond the conferences, um, I just graduated from Georgia Tech, and I worked with the TA for the history and theory class at Georgia Tech because when I took the course, it was very white-centric, and I'm sure it's been the same, Nemo, when you took history and theory at Blaustein, um, that we I was reading articles and books and other works mostly by white men um, in the complete absence of theory or thought from anyone that wasn't a white man in my theory course. And when a couple of the students and I brought it up, the response was, well, this is the material that's on the AICP exam. And so you have to know this material, all other material is nice, but it's not on the AICP exam. And we're trying to get you guys prepared for the AICP exam. And so there, that's two issues, right? So the first issue is that the material is absent from the course. The second issue is that the material is absent from the course because it's absent from the AICP and the requirements that you need to become a planner. And so thankfully, Georgia Tech took the initiative to incorporate works from a more diverse group of authors and thought leaders, but it was still only incorporated into about two weeks of the lecture of the whole semester because it's focused on the AICP training. And I don't know what needs to be done to help open up AICP because it's basically training people to accept the theories of these older white men as planning as as our planning history and those theories are rooted in sexism and classism and racism and so that's what we're creating through like a planning profession and without trying to change those things I don't see how the profession I think it's nice that we're having equity conversations but like if the foundation of it doesn't change I don't see how we can move forward in a positive direction like realistically like truly not just on a superficial level i think some of the frustrations that i've heard from other black planners is that it, it seems like because of the the structure of how planning was created and christine you talked a little bit about this earlier um 
in in our previous discussion is that planning planning was planning has been working against black people <laughs> and so how is it as a as a, in the practice us being black we get dropped into it and it's almost feels like we are then responsible for doing the re reverse and working miracles on things that older white men set up and it, so it's just like it, it's there's always just a a conflict between what we're trying to do and then what was already there and i almost wonder if the um is it going is it what is it going to take to be able to change that in the practice i know jasmine was just touching on getting at the root of how planners are trained and what they're educated on um, but is there any way to really get over that in practice or how can we move beyond kind of the barriers that were started against working against our people? Like how do we even move, move beyond that to really create any change? Well, first and foremost, when it comes to the APA and planning, um, the step they've taken to include equity as part of the licensing is going to open a lot of doors. However, that equ those equity courses are still gonna have to come from approved course providers. Now, that's a step that costs money. It's a step that I'm looking into doing for my materials. And there's gonna be other people that are looking into it. But right, as of right now, you still have to partner with either a chapter or a division of, like you can partner with Planning in the Black Community, which is the division of APA, uh, that sanction to have some of these conversations specifically about the black community. There's also the women's section, there's the LGBT section. I earlier, um, almost a year ago, I did a webinar with the, um, it was the Ohio chapter of APA, it was the LGBT section, and it was the head of uh, professional development. But everything's still kind of focused towards, oh, well, this will be something you can get your credit for. We've because we put our stamp of approval on it. You can say anything you want today, but because it's coming in under us. And so there's that funnel that it has to come in under them. But it still doesn't erase the fact, and this is something that's coming up around conversations around the SAT or any other standardized test or licensing organization, who decided what goes on the test and why and how. And of course, we are finding that most of that material is coming from white people. So two things can happen. One, APA can, just like they've changed the order that you need to take the test in, because it used to be you had to wait years if you did not have a, a actual planning master's degree to be able to sit for the exam. And that assumed that you would get a job in a jurisdiction, specifically in a non-white and a non-sort of assimilated body that you could keep. If you challenged the whiteness of the department, you could lose your job. If you if you had a sexual harassment complaint, which is also an endemic problem, um, we're still dealing with um, sex and gender issues big time in this industry. You could you could lose um, you could lose access. I've there's um, I'm not and this is not my story to tell necessarily, but there's someone major who is a white person who was in this industry dealt with sexual harassment at the TRB conference back in the early 90s, does not go to that anymore, does not participate. And yes, it did prohibit them from advancing for several years, but they still have other connections. But what we do need to open the doors, we need to recognize that organizers, architects, the engineers, all the church, um, pastors, uh, medical providers, we need to honor and respect that legacy. One good thing about the, the CNU Collective, they, they said, they challenged, and this was of course white folks challenging AIA standard and definition of what architecture is. Noma did the same thing. And there's a little more room over on the architecture side for challenging. There's just the culture of, you know, you present a project, it gets judged and then people can make their judgments. So there's a little bit more room in how that's done. But over in planning, there's still more of an adherence to the rules. We love our rules. Of course, we put rules over top of people. We literally, we should, <laughs> we, we call it urban planning, but we should really call it land use planning. We should standardize calling it land use planning and control. Because when you get tired of whether it's urban, suburban, rural, 
town. It misses a lot of the fact that for marginalized bodies, specifically Black people, those who are undocumented, those children even who don't even know, like they don't have a choice of where they're born and whether or not they're born into the right school district, the right uh, near a hospital, uh, access to things. It's just life. Um, you, you go where you can afford to rent. You go where you can afford to you if you if you can't afford or can't drive you got to be near public transportation so that's just what people encounter whereas there's a there's been these rooms of people who have had the time and the ability and privilege and granted there's more of us in those rooms we're creating this 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 conversation is one of those rooms now but for so many people they are not allowed to do that and so we definitely need more more schools, more programs, more disciplines need to be allowed to, um, more people need to be exposed to and allowed to take one, take the AICP exam if that's what they wanna do. And so there's been steps taken to do that. The reversal of the order of the exam, you can write your essay questions. No one has to sign off on them, but the judging board and they tried to diversify the judging board. I've sat on the Great Places Planning Committee. Um, I sat on it in 2016 and 17. So the, the Great Places that were chosen nationwide, I had a hand in choosing. And so diversifying those boards, but that's, those are just incremental steps. The Social Equity Committee that happened, more um, leadership, more diverse leadership amongst the affinity groups and the affinity groups being able to, um, you know, maybe even, but still, there still needs to be a lowered cost of entry the sliding scale is helping, but it is still cost prohibitive, especially when you're just learning that all of a sudden, all the things you've always done, things you've done for years, if you don't have this particular certification exam, you may not get hired in a, a city government position. You may not be considered. You may not raise money. If you are a contractor, you may not be able to be the prime contractor. And that, of course, uh, brings up issues of what people wanting to have a minority-led firm or calling the firm a minority-led firm and what that even means. And then of course, firms figuring out a way to manipulate that process and say, oh, well, we're minority ran, but it's usually a white woman leading the way or someone that has the exam, um, has taken the exam because federal, state and local laws say in many cases, if you're gonna contract with a city government. But I'm very much, um, and I'm a radical in the spirit of like rooting things at the surface. We just need to accept more projects. We need to work more interdependently. We need to make more opportunities, whether that's um, figuring out a better sliding scale fee schedule, making more schools accredited, changing how we talk about it. Um, like, like I just said, saying land use planning and defaulting to it being land use planning, even incorporating it into the name. Um, I'm sure the psychologists probably get confused all the time because we refer to APA. If you're doing things in APA style as a undergraduate student, you're referring to the, the psychological. And of course, even, even they would like to have more of a seat at the table at this conversation from a public health standpoint. If the pandemic has taught us one thing, it's to appreciate special moments with the people you love the most. Take the hassle out of your next cherished moments with Elevated Experiences, a full-service event planning and design company based in Central Jersey. From baby showers and birthday parties to weddings and anniversaries, Elevated Experiences is here to help you elevate. You can find us on Instagram at Elevated Experiences PC or shoot us an email at eeplanningco at gmail.com. If we were to change planning, or I guess urban planning as we know it, to be specifically land use planning, do you think that all of those kind of critical neighborhood services that may be planning adjacent um, or have an impact on just livelihood overall? So you mentioned schools, um, even librarians and mm -hmm. even community organizers. I liked the idea of them also being able to register and say they want to become a certified planner because what they have been doing their whole career could very much be planning as we know it. And I think um, when thinking about this episode, we definitely wanted to think about the ways of um, stepping away from what traditional planning is. So if for all of those who are listening <laughs> and want to <laughs> join in on kind of radicalizing how we, how we call planning and being specific um, and 
yeah, so I guess my question is, should all of those services remain separate or should they be under what could be defined as land use planning? I think just opening up the exam and opening up things that people could do and opening up the judge, uh, the judging of it. Um, I'm thinking about work that um, Jonathan Pacheco Bell is doing with embedded planning. He's a huge component of that being out, literally being outside. He also is very connected. I think he also does library work and is very connected with libraries and librarians. Uh, a library friend of mine who accompanied me to my last CNU conference, this Savannah one, walked around. This was the first time she had been. She walked around. She talked to all these people. And here they were very excited about some of the things I was saying. Not to say that they shouldn't be excited because it, it's something that they need to do. But she told me, she was like, you know, I'm a sociologist by training. And we've been having this conversation for decades longer than they have. So what's going on? So yeah, I believe making it easier making more of these things permissible. And then really, I hope that the process is happening where we are examining the canon of urban planning or land use planning thought, what, what's permissible. Um, I do wanna shout out the progressive planners. Um, they've been doing this. They've been challenging APA and others who purport to be the standard of planning for years. And I think, living in this internet era, and even now more so where we literally are all pretty much living on the internet um, when we're in, in the spirit of being safe during this pandemic, we're examining how these systems aren't working. And this is probably the first time that wealthy white people in a generation have had major disruptions to their, um, to their livelihood they've had that point where they need to say, okay, I'm doing all the homeschooling. I, I'm a feminist. I'm doing all my homeschooling. I'm feeling like I'm doing all these household tasks. What's going on? Um, people are losing their jobs. Whole industries had to shut down. Um, Broadway and all the theater districts, the restaurants and all, and um, you were talking about earlier how things are still shut down here in D.C. Thankfully, I live in a part that's pretty much on the outskirts. We're technically a suburb, but because we're so far out of the federal district, that's reg hev this, the heavy, re heavily regulated part, the part that's restricted. And we're also, I'm in the neighborhood, I'm in the county where we deliver a lot of the um, service industry people and working class people. Life went on. It's part of why our case positivities in Prince George's County are still so high. And so, yeah, I think we need to have more voices at the table. And you all, anybody, even on this podcast tonight or whenever you're listening to it, or if you've heard me speak at a speech or if you read any of my work and I'm picking up all these different pieces, our, our field does that. We're interdisciplinary by nature, but we need to be doing that by practice. We need to the barriers need to come down. We need to reconfigure that in our scholarship. And we just need to recognize and honor when people are doing things. Instead of saying, oh, well, we're not going to hire you because you haven't done this. Figure out how to make, make that happen, whether it's a rule change, whether it's adding another fiscal sponsor, whether it's getting a contract or liability insurance or whatever it is to make you feel comfortable hiring someone who's doing the work. They're just not doing it with the AICP or whatever other certification. Now, yes, we need for buildings not to fall down. <laughs> we need for cars not to wreck themselves. There are points and times where regulation does help. You know, with this pandemic, you know, we definitely do not need to be drinking Clorox directly. That was just thankful that we're in a different administration now. Those things, we're not saying not to have those things, but we need to ask ourselves, the rules and the regulations that we've created for ourselves as land use practitioners, whether we're real estate agents or we're public policy people or we're architects or we're um, working for a city where we're um, analyzing and we're assisting the zoning commission and there are various variances that in some places they can just pay, pay somebody and they've put a variance over, forget your opportunity zone, forget your whatever, forget your um, TOD because the variance has just killed it. So if it's easy for the zoning commission to pay money or have a friend show up and there's a, all of a sudden there's a variance, 
why not go back and rectify that your the church you love to go work with that has all this community history this elder who's registered say with your humanities council that's a known lay scholar um, the professor in the other discipline that does all this work um, uh, the medical doctor who's managed to make these really profound statements on how urban planning and zoning has shaped certain communities. Absolutely, let them in and honor their, honor their vision and make it happen. Yeah, and it's interesting because Nemo and I don't work in traditional planning. When people say traditional planning, I'm thinking, the planning board, like the city's planning mm -hmm. office. Land use. Yeah, yeah, like I'm thinking land use, <laughs> or maybe I'm thinking like transportation engineering. Um, and so it's interesting because the field is so much more broad than the history and theory course. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And that's what's on the AICP. I know, Nima, we talked about this for you. Is like that felt like going backwards for you, like preparing for the AICP exam felt like, you weren't that wouldn't be moving in the right direction based on the work that you've been doing so far, even though you've been doing stuff that is related to planning. Yeah, I think what always strikes me whenever I'm like, oh, okay, let me go on this website and see what I need to do and see what signatures I need to get to sign up. I'm always like, how am I gonna defend that I've been working in these areas and doing these things and how am I going to have to write it and justify it in a way that fits in with the definition of planning and I think even like you were saying Kristen in this pandemic I think it's been shown that when people from different backgrounds whether that be their personal cultural background as well as professional backgrounds when they come together we can get really creative about how things look. I think that's been, that's probably one of my favorite things over the past few years. And, you know, when people talk about 2020, all I can say is I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot about how things can work and how they can work better um, and how we can really get, get in, get into it. And as I guess, as we're thinking about um, 2020 and looking forward, Kristen, I'm curious your thoughts on what some of the planning priorities should be in the new administration. So definitely I'm happy to see, gosh, it seems like this administration, and by the time this hits liter the literal streets, more things will have been done. I don't wanna speak to what is going to happen because a lot, the week that we're recording this, we've already had reversals of um, the Muslim folks who could come in and out of the country. Trans folks can serve openly. There's an announcement that the um, healthcare exchange is gonna be open. Uh, there's, um, and the impeachment papers have been filed. I think by the time we were, this is, comes out, we'll be deep into that uh, process. And then just the promise, um, of course, Secretary Buttigieg, um, I can never get it right, but I will because Pete I'm so, Buttigieg. yes, yes. I, my fellow, um, community member of LGBTQ and just that, that is just, I, I'm, I'm definitely still in this honeymoon phase and I'm happy that we've gotten to the representation point. We've gotten to the possibility model point that has shown that we can have a HUD leader that's competent. Um, we can have a transportation leader that may not seem like they know, but these things are so integrated. And so the priorities I wanna see with having a president who is such a fan and whose career in Congress was almost saved by Amtrak, being able to literally get on the train and go back and forth and be a, a doting father and just that that kind of history. I want us, I want to see Amtrak be at its full potential. I want us to invest in high-speed rail. I want us, I want a cella to go all the way. I would love to be able to take a cella from DC back south to Greensboro. Like that, that's an eight-hour trip right now when I get on the train. Part of the reason I have a car note right now is because it's there's so many holes in the transit network. I wish uh, you well with that goal of getting, <laughs> getting from DC to North Carolina. I wish you well with that goal. I, I just want to put it out there because I'm, I'm, you know, what we lived through these past four years, so many people did not think we could go that far back and we could be in this shape. And we cannot deny that we would not be sitting in our houses, wearing masks outside, mourning friends and family members, mourning our health the way that it used to be, mourning what our jobs used to look like and everything if we had not had the prior administration. We would 
So seeing that the Obama administration legacy is already being taken care of, there's plans to basically reinstate everything that was done. Um, the Obama, um, the, under the Fox uh, administration of DOT, they released this beautiful document of how to um, organize, how to petition local and state governments to accept transportation. They, they basically taught people how to be community organizers. Um, my partner, Les, was featured in one of their videos. She's done a lot of organizing work here in Prince George's County, and so she was featured. And so I'm hoping to see, I'm already seeing, we're already seeing that the diversity of thought and diversity of personage is back. And we are being, the administration is bold and nominating, literally having our Black and um, Indian American vice president in the room at various times. And just the optics of that, we're already seeing the optics of having uh, openly gay secretary of transportation, the optics of having a... Um, at least I, I'm not sure how far we'll be in the process by the time this um, releases, but having thought to nominate a, a trans feminine person at, at Health and Human Services, actual teachers, two actual teachers that have moved up the ladder to be in superintendents at education. So I know this is more about just like, but once again, this is human life. This is everything that makes our built environment, our lives work and having that integration, having those combinations, those of us who remember the Obama era and the sustainable communities partnerships with EPA and DOT and HUD, I feel like there's going to be even more of that with the different um, cabinet level areas because there's so much diversity of thought and, and image. I, I hope that, and I, I do share that concern that it will be just diversity theater. I want them to not just That's stop my biggest there. concern. Yeah. It's just going to be optics. You know, I mm -hmm. chose um, a cabinet that looks like America, but yeah. I want them to be able to do things and meet the goals and the priorities of a lot of Americans. Mm -hmm. um, because without it, I think, and it's going to be so easy because we came from such low standards in the prior administration <laughs> yes. that like the simplest thing will be like oh thank you and it's like no we need to be moving forward yeah I, I see yeah. a lot of those conversations of oh we're finally going back to normal and I'm like but normal is what Was got it? us to where we are now normal yeah. is a lack of funding for transit and a great mm -hmm. number of funding dollars for highways normal is prioritizing school choice over making sure that every school mm -hmm. in the district and every school in your state is a school that someone would choose to go to um those are things that are normal we need to be trying to move beyond those things and getting us to a place where our society is better because we can't just keep doing normal there's not enough yet where we they definitely made sure they did an inaugural program and a, a lot of the executive orders that have been signed and a lot of the things that have happened are going a little step further, but we were just arguing over the filibuster. We just had people storm the building. There are people that were allowed to go home instead of get arrested right on site. Whereas when we were protesting Black Lives Matter, we were literally at the um, cap um, at protests this summer, people are permanently hurt because they dared to say in public, Black Lives Matter. It is still career suicide in some jurisdictions for planners to take a political stance. In states where the Crown Act is illegal or there's no way of proving that people are harassing you for your hair, you can get fired for having your hair in a certain way. You can get fired or you have no protection, even though federally the Supreme Court protected you for having a, a same gender partner, but there's still a lot of people who claim that a male showing up in makeup or a woman showing up in like a very gender non-conforming, there's still harassment going on around that. And a lot of this, the federal environment is gonna be a big player in some things, Local and state is another. There's people still dealing with the effects of the COVID pandemic. There are people who are already sick. Um, this industry has 
fried me and depressed me. And that's part of the reason I've been so adamant about preserving my own work, creating my own work, encouraging folks like yourselves, other Black women in this space to affirm and uplift and do and be because they've done it for so long. It hasn't helped. Who's going to look out for us but ourselves? And I know 2020 was an awakening for a lot of us, but for me, it was years ago. It was when I first got fired out of a, a um, an AEC firm for being a little, I was already too black and then I wasn't competent enough. And then that, that I, they had reasonable reason to fire me. I've had, um, I've been groomed and groomed in that weird sexual quasi kind of way. So I've had creep, in other words, I've had creepy men. I've had, even had a few creepy women that those um, have not been paid enough. People are shocked to hear that I've never made over 40K a year ever, especially people who know that I live, have lived in the DMV, have traveled all over the world. Um, I'm getting close to making that for myself. And the day that I look at my tax receipts on a year, like if it's this year coming up for 2021 and I make that, 11 years after declaring and creating this world for myself, that's history. I know I'm living history because I don't know who else was doing websites around urban planning, Black urban planning prior to me. And that the, all of the things that we're creating in the media, the planning media, we're, we're living history right now because of what we've chosen to do. Thank you for sharing that, Kristen. And I definitely, I know you you don't even need me to tell you, you definitely are living that history and definitely paving a way that um, Jasmine and I could even think to have a podcast sharing our opinions and sharing our thoughts on things. And um, so many who, who, who took those steps and those, those risks to, to make that possible. Um, and we'll have a lot of what we talked about in the, in the show notes, but I definitely want everyone on the call to know how to, um, how to connect um, to your platform, The Black Urbanist, and really just see the wealth of information that you have available to share. Um, but like you said in the beginning, it's getting more expensive to work with Black women. Our price is going up. So yes. don't think y'all just go get everything everything for free, but pay people what they're owed and, and what they deserve. And don't just think that, don't don't diminish our price based on, based on what we look like, um, based on what society says a Black woman's value is. Um, and so I'm just so thankful to share this space and time with you on this call um, and to hopefully just continue, continue working together. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I, and I can definitely share. So of course, uh, you know, the Black Urbanist now is going into its 11th year. Uh, first, it was just, okay, my dad can't get around properly. He has a car wreck. He can't drive anymore. He's literally walking six lane highways. He's walking on, he's, um, and he's walking around town because it's quicker for him to walk these six lane highways in Greensboro than it is for him to stand and wait for our, uh, our 30 minute headways on buses. Um, he's running into, he can't use the bathroom. He's and I, just thinking about that because we don't have enough public bathrooms. Um, he had retired from the school system and but he had disabilities all of a sudden so he couldn't work the way he used to. So seeing him live that, then my own mother, um, retired classroom teacher, all the things she went through in the education system. And then of course she was the one who introduced me to crafting and all those things. And just that legacy of um, maintaining a tradition and thinking about of course, like slow fashion and reducing plastic and environmental waste and all the things that come in upon that. And so that's, and of course being this pandemic and thinking about supply chain. So that's where of course, black urbanists was watching dad, Chris Pattern, his mom, bringing it all together in something that makes sense. And then thinking about centering black women's voices. So of course I'm at black urbanists on Twitter. I still tweet every once in a while. I have both the at Chris pattern and at black urbanists Instagrams. Um, I'm not doing as much on Facebook anymore. So yeah, there's, there's stuff on Facebook. My monthly right now is still monthly newsletter. End of every month, I write about something. And um, those, by the time this is released, you'll be able to, of course, click and listen to this conversation. You, have, you may have come over here because I've included it in the newsletter. And I'm really going to talk about the power of Black women. Um, I, have a, uh, I have a survey going out because I, I 
said to myself at the end of 19, having witnessed about two years worth of watching the industry just not continue to not support black women and black queer people properly. And of course, black people who have, who don't have means. And of course I've, I've been in business now and I've been building up financially and just, there was just so much support system that was just not there. And so that's what influenced sort of this latest round of me, instead of just writing the blogs every once in a while, working for somebody's comms department, because I'm trained as a communicator, you know, with a communication degree and the public administration and affairs, being somebody's policy agent, being somebody, and I, and I do still occasionally do um, contracting where I'm the um, diversity lead on a project team, but I'm moving away from that. I'm building up this online and hopefully soon to be in-person curriculum supplement professional development platform, the Black Queer Feminist Urbanist School. Um, I'm, I'm compiling and uh, noting Black women, queer people, feminist thought in urban planning and land use planning and all the intersecting ways. If you go to the blackurbanist.com, you slash resources, there's um, a list of the syllabus that I've created of books that I think are crucial. And then there's the school itself where for white folks, $40 a month gets you access to a growing library of teaching from me and others. Right now we've been in the pilot phase where we're reading through Chocolate Cities, A Black Map of American Life by Dr. Zandria F. Robinson and Marcus Anthony Hunter. And there I am, um, I will include in the show notes a sample lesson from the course as well as the author conversation we had back at the beginning of um, July. Well, we're really glad to have you, Kristen. Um, and this will always be a place where you can come share your thought and your theory and tell us more about what's going on for you. Before we jump off, we wanna play a really quick game where we're going to rapid fire maybe about four or five topics. We'll give you 20 seconds to give us your initial thoughts on the topic as it pertains to whatever comes to mind first. So Jasmine will do the timer. I'll ask the first two um, topics um, and then Jasmine will ask the other two. Um, and so we are, we're gonna, we're gonna just go and see, okay. fire it off and uh, Jasmine will yield time and we'll see how many we can get through. Um, and so we're gonna, so the, I'll give the topic and then you will respond with how this um, trend addresses equity. Okay. Nemo, read it in your Steve Harvey voice. <laughs> uh, family Feud? Yeah, family, family Feud, Steve Harvey. Wow. Okay, I haven't watched that show in a while, so I'm ashamed. <laughs> okay, uh, so the first one is ride sharing. Uh, definitely need these to compensate their um, the people who drive. I used to drive it for a while, and yeah, they they are real workers, so compensate the people and protect their riders as well. Great, thank you. I had a stint where I also did Uber Eats, um, and I was like, is this? really like it's so I commend especially in these COVID times where people are not you know oh I'm always tipping I tip above right. and beyond because I know what that's like to be on the other side of that right and the next one is vision zero it, it needs reform I am um what Obayi has said about it blowing up absolutely because yeah we want to protect people but are we protecting people or are we ticketing people you know I live right by those notorious traffic cameras that come in from the south side of um, DC and I've had tickets and Time. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm gonna go Airbnb. Oh man, there's um just, well, it can be used, it's been a tool, but like any other tool, we need to make, make sure that people aren't abusing it, uh, not using it as a way to push people out. Um, but I think we need to be careful about restricting usage of it, especially for families. That's time. That are... <laughs> All right, I'm like, we're, we're, we're going. Um... And the very last one that we're gonna get into is, let's do autonomous vehicles. 
um, they'll they can work, but if we don't pay people, like we're, that's gonna we're gonna lose a lot of jobs once we get to the point where we don't need to drive anymore. So this is the time where we need universal basic income, and then we can talk about having these robot cars. All right, nice and succinct. Um, <laughs> at this point, we like to go around and say if there's any final thoughts. Um, for me, I think the takeaways for this episode lend themselves to how the planning profession can be better. And I'd say that the highlights are being more interdisciplinary, um, bringing equity into all conversations, not just the equity conversations, and working to diversify what we consider traditional or um, defined land use planning. And I would say the biggest takeaway for me, um, and one thing I'm super inspired from Kristen is, how do we empower, empower people at all levels? Um, how do we, you know, whether that's us when we leave our houses in the morning, pre-COVID, um, or how we show up every day to whatever it is that we're doing, how can we feel empowered from within? How can we demand that from other people? Um, and I hope that's something that we can see in the new Biden administration as well. All right. Um, mainly for me, just continue to do do the things. Don't get discouraged. I'm so thrilled that y'all created this space. Um, I've I've had ups and downs with my space creation because I've been out there kind of on the desert by myself. Um, and especially to the students, um, just recent graduates and current students right now, you've got a lot more opportunities open to you. It's a little bit easier to do the things that we've done. So do the things that are easy to do, but don't let anybody tell you that something's required or something's necessary. There's always another way. You're no less of a planner if you can't sit for the exam immediately or work for a city planning department. You're no less of a planner if you're working for your a library assistant, or even if you're outside of the field and you just have those opinions and you contribute to either Streets Blog or Greater Greater Washington or whatever the equivalent would be wherever you live, you're still valued, you're still valuable, and definitely do not let anybody tell you that your experience as a non-white, non-straight, non-cis male, um, non-able-bodied person, um, non-wealthy person, take away from your spirit and your ideas about how this world should work. Ooh, a word, <laughs> a whole word. Thank you so much, Kristen, um, for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, we're super excited to have you and excited for everyone to listen to this episode. Um, our next installment in our Black History Month series um, will feature a few Black businesses. And so we'll get into some of the similar topics around land use um, in that discussion as well. And if you want to stay in touch with us, we drop episodes every other Tuesday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the four degrees pod. Peace out, y'all.